the charge of the Light Brigade was one of uh, the most humiliating defeats in British military history. On the 25th of October 1855, the British Light Cavalry Brigade were ordered into the Battle of Balaclava in the Crimea. They were called the Light Brigade because they wore very little armour. Now, that was to an advantage in certain settings because it allowed them to move swiftly on horseback. It allowed them to overtake the retreating enemy. It allowed them to get out their swords and slash the enemy down as they had their backs to them. As opposed to the heavy cavalry who had all the full armour on and were equipped more for hand-to-hand -hand combat. Well, on this occasion, they came up a very steep and narrow valley and the enemy was encircling them on the top of the valley, and they had guns. And within 20 minutes, 260 of the soldiers were wounded, killed, or captured, and 475 of the horses, I'm told. The fact was, they were never wearing the proper equipment or armor for that battle. This morning, we're going to finish our series by looking at Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10. It will be in your notes. You can find it in your Bible, and I'm going to read it to you. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Heavenly Father, as we look at this passage, I do pray by your Holy Spirit that you'd help us to engage with it, to understand it, to take it on board. Would you continue to feed us and speak to us this morning for our good and for your kingdom and for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You might have missed it. I heard some rustling of pages as I'd launched into verse 10 and 11. So let's go back to verse 10 and 11, because it really does act as something of a summary, as a headline for this whole passage. So if we've got 10 and 11, we can then understand the rest of what is unpacked. I've got six introductory points just to draw out from this. And then in a minute, we're going to look at the six pieces of armor, which uh, the passage then goes on to explain. So it starts like this, finally. And first I thought, well, maybe this is an and finally moment you often get at the end of a news program. You know, all the sober news has come, and then they have an and finally, some light relief just to kind of help you on your way. But it's not one of those. This is an above all. Everything else said and done, all that's gone before, this is it. 
This is Paul's finale to his letter to the churches in and around Ephesus. It's his conclusion. This is where he's been going in it all. And in a sense, it's like that for us in this series we've been unpacking over these months. This is the finale. This is the conclusion. This is the above all of what we've been looking at recently. And the command here is to be strong. The call is to be strong, though, note, in the Lord. In the Lord. It's his strength, it's his power, it's his armor that we're called to stand in. Hallelujah. You don't have to see whether or not you've got enough strength inside of you this morning. Am I strong enough? Am I, have I got enough inside me? doesn't matter. Because it's his strength we're dependent upon and relying upon and have access to. Imagine the power that God the Father had to exert in, to raise Christ from the dead. There he was, Jesus, in the tomb, taking on all the sins of the world, and the power of God raised him from the dead, and then exalted him, we've been singing about it this morning, on high, above all creation. That power is at work in you who believe. Those of you who are in faith in Jesus, that strength is in you. It's not of you, but it's in you and at work in you. You receive this strength by grace. It goes on and says, put on the full armor. There's a responsibility on us. Yes, we're strong in the Lord. It's his strength, but there's something for us to do. It's summarized here as putting on something, the full armor of God. If you like, the armor of God is the how to the what of being strong in the Lord. And here's a why. It talks about, at the end of verse 11, the devil's schemes. That's why this instruction is so important. We have an enemy. We're in a battle, whether we are aware of it or not as believers, whether we believe it or not. And it's a spiritual battle against spiritual beings, not human beings. And it's an internal battle often. It's a battle for our heart and our mind, in our thinking and in our emotions. You know, sometimes life does feel like a battle. It can feel like a battle of the sexes. It can feel like a battle between the haves and the have-nots, between the employer and the employee, the workers and the owners. It can feel like a battle between the them and the us, people that are not like us. And all of those things illustrate different arenas of life. And actually, this letter that we've looked at the end of has already addressed many of them. But rather than against people... Our fight is against the devil and his schemes and his organized hordes of demonic minions, however they are organized. And it's in these arenas of life, however, that the devil sets his schemes, his little traps, with thoughts that might come to us like, you're better than them, or alternatively, you're useless. Or thoughts like, well, nobody really likes you. Or thoughts like, well, you, you married the wrong person. Or thoughts like, no point making any effort here. This passage, I would suggest to you, is, is not primarily about being on mission. We're called to mission, we know that, we talk about that, but that's not this. But mission, again, is another arena of our life where we can experience spiritual battle, maybe of the more intense variety. Again, the devil may fire thoughts at us that make us think these things. Your prayers aren't good enough. You're useless. You might as well quit now. 
You're going to lose friends saying those things. Don't offend anybody. You're wasting your time here. You see, the gospel can fight for itself. We don't fight on behalf of the gospel. Jesus has won. Hallelujah. But our spiritual battle is against some of these thoughts, against being ashamed of the gospel, against the fear of man. So again, mission is another arena. And I'll suggest to you that the whole emphasis of this passage is for Christians to stand firm. Hopefully I emphasized it, I went through, but you can't help but notice four times the command is stand, stand firm, withstand, take your stand, stand your ground, echoes the passage again and again. And we know that in faith we're meant to walk with Jesus. We're walking in faith. We, we know that in faith we're to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. We understand mission and advancing the gospel. It's pushing forward with the gospel. But when it comes to our spiritual warfare, the demeanor that's most appropriate is stand. Stand. Take your stand. We don't go and fight the enemy because Jesus has won. Jesus defeated the devil. He disarmed the demons. He's destined them all to destruction. He did that at the cross. And we may have watched too many superhero films if we think once we put the costume on, we're the hero. Jesus is the hero. He is one. We may have a costume or some armor to put on, but he's the hero. And the devil might lash out in defiance, but the inevitable will come. And Jesus will call time on his end. So meanwhile, what do we do? We defend. We defend our position. We've looked at over previous weeks that we're to submit to God, we're to resist the devil, and he will flee from us. So we don't chase after him in crazed pursuit. We just simply and effectively defend ourselves against his schemes. Not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of passivity. In fact, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an act of assertive faith. It's from a position of resolute strength. It's an attitude of absolute confidence. Some have looked at the details of the armor of God, and they are looking, I think, for an, off an offensive weapon, something to take the attack to the enemy. Some might suggest, well, the sword of the spirit surely is that, because, you know, you stab things with swords. Some have suggested maybe it's the, the shoes of the readiness of the gospel. Maybe they help us march forward, go forward, approach our enemy. But I would suggest to you that that is stretching the metaphor that was being used here. The only distinction Paul makes are between the armor that we put on and keep on fixing it to ourselves permanently, and the other bits of the armor that we take up at times and in moments when required. So I'm convinced, actually, all these bits of armor are defensive to help us stand our ground. What we need to do. You see, success in the spiritual battle is staying on your feet, is holding your position, so that at the end of your life, you can say, like Paul, I have fought the fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Too many Christians, I think, are knocked off their feet or drift away from the battle lines of the kingdom. 
Now, the devil can't render you unsaved again, but he can render you ineffective as a Christian. Yeah? He can't rob you of eternal life, but he can rob you of abundant life right now or eternal reward in the future. You know, so vivid, so rich is this armor of God illustration. There are so many cross-references one could make across the Bible that I think one danger is we we miss the main point. I think another danger is that we stay in the fluffy area of it. We only really use this imagery as, as mystical prayer language. And now I like mystical prayer language. I like using verbosity and you know, eloquence in things. But, but that's not this. I didn't know that was a word. This, I don't think, is primarily about prayer. Because lo and behold, the next section, verse 18, we haven't read it, says this, and pray. The prayer bit comes next. Prayer is the complement to the armor of God, not the explanation of the armor of God, you see. You can pray if you'd like for the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth. That's not going to do you any harm. But as you do so, don't miss the main thing. See, this is all about the truth. This armor of God is about the truth. Don't have to look very hard. The clues are all there. The first one, the belt of truth. Later, it talks about the gospel of peace. Later on, it talks about the word of God. So whether you're talking about the Bible, the word, the truth, the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of grace, it's the truth. It's the Bible truth. It's the God word truth that it's talking about with those different, you know, different ways of expression. And we shouldn't be surprised that this is all about the truth. We've seen over recent weeks how it's the truth that sets us free. Jesus said it would be so. We've learned how to refuse to let lies land in our mind by thinking on and believing in the truth. That's what we learned a few weeks back. We've learned to deal with depression by putting our hope in the truth of God's unchanging character. And in his faithful promises. We looked at that a few weeks back. We've learned how to tackle temptation. How? By bringing out relevant truth from the Bible. Just as Jesus did in the wilderness. Tackling temptation. Taking it out at the legs. We've learned how to forgive others last week. How? Because we know the truth that God is the lawgiver. And God is the judge. So truth has helped us in all these areas. And so the armor of God, I would suggest to you this morning, is this. It's about knowing the truth and using the truth. The gospel, the word of God, the Bible. There are two things we're to do. We're to put on things. We're to know the truth, and then we're to take up things. We're to use the truth, you see. So we're going to look at those two headings and the three bits of armor that fall under each. Knowing the truth. Firstly, the belt, the belt of truth. You see, the Roman soldier wore very baggy underwear. Not like the the skin-tight lycra of today. You know, it was just flapping around everywhere. And so the, the belt wasn't just an accessory. I don't really need this belt. If I take this belt off, my trousers won't go down because 
I'm filling these trousers, okay? That's all you need to know. With, with my lunch and my dinners and my extra coffees. But no, the Roman soldier would have needed the belt to gather it all up before they then put the armor on. It was like their secret weapon, if you like. It was an essential. Now, there was a fashion a few years ago, and maybe it still exists, where, where, the, the, where you, wear, you wore your trousers halfway down your rear end. I know I'm of, a, of an age and stage that can mock such things, but I'm sure there was some value in it. But other than looking ridiculous, uh, which I think you might agree, I mean, try running for a bus, I suggest, to the generation. I mean, it's, and, and, and at worst, it's, you know, it's going to cause you some of this, isn't it? And it's, same, it's the same with our defense against the enemy. Come on, we need to strap on this belt of truth. You see, putting on the belt of truth is about getting to grips with the Bible. And we say, oh, I've just started out. Oh, I'm not a very good reader. Yeah, we'll start there. There's lots of notches on this belt. And they're just over the years. Come on. I'm using a different notch than I used to in the right direction, thankfully. Because I'm tightening that belt now. Breathing in a bit more, that's what it is. See, this Bible belt is, is the pivot upon which the whole armor rests. The Bible is the hub of our whole discipleship and our defense against the enemy. You know, when Paul first planted this church in Ephesus that he's now writing to, he said, I stuck around long enough to teach you the whole will of God to tell you the whole counsel of God. Now, I don't think that was Paul saying, right, verse 1, you know, chapter 1 of Genesis, and went through every single verse and chapter. I don't think that's what he did. But he gave enough of the overview, of the themes, of, of the connections, so they could see for themselves how it worked, what was there. Some of us really enjoyed the Bible course. If we do it again, I'm sure we will. I'd encourage some of you to go on it. It was really helpful to get that overarching biblical narrative. It was really very helpful. It helped us appreciate how the different bits fitted together. For example, uh, they had one big sort of shelf, wiggly shelf, and they used it as a timeline and put different books of the Bible on different bits of it. Well, right at the beginning of the shelf was this little tree, and it was a tree of life. You remember, in the Garden of Eden, there was a tree of life. And they could eat of that and enjoy paradise. But then when sin entered, paradise was lost. They couldn't eat of that tree anymore. And then you go through the storyline, and you find the end of the, of, the, of the book in Revelation. It's another tree. It's the tree of life. In, in paradise regained, in the new creation that God has got in store. We're told to have a future perspective, haven't we, this morning? And, and you see how it all connects. Oh, the tree of life keeps turning up in the book of Proverbs. And then, and then in the middle, you see, oh, wow, there's a tree of death. There's Jesus nailed to a cross so that paradise lost can be regained. And, and there's more. There's so much more. You can begin to see the connections. It's not about quoting every verse in the Bible. It's not about knowing absolutely everything. It's seeing these pictures play out over the timeline. You know, ultimately, there's no shortcut to actually reading the Bible for yourself and taking it in, seeing God bring those connections to you. Often, I've been in the habit of reading something from the beginning, something from the middle, something from the end, and just going through chronologically like that. But it's amazing how many times through that random system, that there's, there's a phrase, there's a, there's a theme here. 
across these parts of the Bible. That's the belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness. You see, the Roman breastplate protected the whole body from the, the neck right down to the upper thigh. It was, it was just protecting all those vital organs, as you can imagine, a good idea. And, you know, we still associate, don't we, different emotions with different organs inside of us. For example, we talk about having a broken heart. We talk about feeling gutted about things. We, we talk about venting our spleen, maybe others. And, and you see, we're emotional because God is emotional. He has emotions. And he's created us in his image. But the challenge is that the devil can play havoc with those emotions if we express them inappropriately, if we're controlled by them, or if we're overwhelmed by a negative emotion. And so as Christians, we have the best defense. We are able to live emotionally healthy lives. Why? Because of the breastplate of righteousness. It's about knowing the truth of who you are in Christ. Lord of the Rings fans, if you've read the book, seen the films, you might remember there was a moment when we thought Frodo Baggins, surely he's gone. You know, he got a thrust of a sword. Surely that's it. He's over. They've got another three hours of the film, so they must pick up a different storyline. And then you see, oh no, he remembered. He's still got on the mithril elven shirt that he was given chapters and books ago, hours ago. He's still got it on underneath. It saved him. And it is the same for us, putting on the breastplate of righteousness. You know, it's about knowing not only that our sin has been reattributed to Jesus by faith, forgiven, but it's also knowing that, that his perfect, law-fulfilling, God-honoring, sinless life has been credited to me. Oh, wow. You know, too many of us maybe settle for the badge of forgiveness, for the pin of Jesus loves me. These things are true. These things are wonderful. Enjoy it. But don't stop there. It may protect you from the odd dart to the heart. But, you know, the gospel is so much broader, so much all-compassing, protecting every part of us. Paul had prayed earlier in this letter that we'd grasp the four dimensions of the love of God. Four dimensions, yes, the width, the length, the height, and the depth. Isn't he doubled up? But don't worry about it. It surpasses knowledge. This is the love of Christ. Pin badge, pin badge of Jesus loves me. It's great. Come on. Let's get these four. Let's, let's understand it in its richness, in its fullness, in its completeness. We get a hint of Paul wearing this very breastplate of righteousness at the beginning of this letter. He just pours out his praise in this continuous stream um, of all the many blessings that we have in Christ. Picking up from verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in Christ Jesus, in the one he loves. 
In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. He has lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. I've lost my glasses, so I can't read the lines. Never mind. Which he purposed in Christ. It's just an explosion of the breastplate of righteousness. Not the pin badge. Have you got it? Are you grasping it? Are you growing in it? I remember when our children were younger and they were going to school, the big bad world of school. Oh no, no longer under our house in our protection. And I remember picking up from other parents this concept, make sure in the rush of getting ready, getting up, having breakfast, getting dressed, getting out on time, that you fill their emotional tank. Or whatever they face in the day, those little people. Being dissed, being knocked back, being misunderstood, tripping up, falling over, hurting themselves, fill up their emotional tank before the day begins. And you know what? In the same way, our Father wants to fill your emotional tank with his word, the words of the Father. So, so yeah, oh, I'm reading Noah today. Noah, Noah found favor from God. Wow, I found favor from God just by believing him. Abraham, oh yeah, Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's me. And, and Abraham went on and made mistakes and he lied a couple of times about his wife and he, he slept with the wrong person. But, but he was made righteous by faith. I was trying to explain this to a, a Jehovah Witness in the street the other day and I wasn't doing well. Trying, we, this, is, this, is our, this, is, this, this is the point. That's not my battle. It's against, you know. But you know, oh, I read Abraham. This is me. I'm righteous by faith. Wow, I read about David, he'd seem to do really well. Oh my, he's made a right old boob now. And, and oh, blessed is he whose sins are forgiven. That's me, that's me again. I read Solomon, I read his words in Proverbs, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, or the other way around. Yeah, the fear of the Lord. Yeah, you've put that in me, Lord. Wisdom has begun in me. I read about Jesus and his life. Wow, he did some amazing things. He never put a foot wrong. Wow, he, he seemed to fulfill everything that Israel was meant to have done, and he did it perfectly and well where they made, made mistakes. Wow, that's mine by faith. I, I fulfilled that. Wow. You know, you can then go out in the day with your chest out, with your head high, with your chin up. This is not because of self-righteousness, but made righteous. Changes the day. The Freedom in Christ course, we've heard it being advertised here, is being run for 10 Thursdays from the end of September. One thing it does, possibly the thing it does, is help you put on this breastplate of righteousness. Who you are in Christ. Make sure it's on. Don't go anywhere without it. And thirdly, we've got the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace. The Roman sandal, you, know, you had to strap on all the way up your leg. I mean, you didn't take it off. It took you a long time to get it there in the first place. So it's there, okay? You keep it on. And it had studs for a bit of mobility and a bit of stability. It was, it was another secret weapon of the Romans. Why they did so well, they could move around so, so nimbly. But rather than going on the attack, I think the analogy is more like in the boxing ring. Like Muhammad Ali, remember him, who infamously said he was aiming to float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. And it's the floating like a butterfly. His, his footwork was so f fleeting 
And putting on the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace is about knowing what you believe. Yeah. And why you believe it. It's getting that grip there, that traction. It's about gaining some strong biblical convictions for yourself. Not just saying, oh, well, I think Dale said that the other week. Yes, yeah, so that must be true. No, no, what, what do you think? What does the Bible say? You go back to the source material and have a look. Do you know it? Are you convinced by what you believe? Because as Adam and Eve found in the garden, as Jesus found in the wilderness, the devil knows the Bible quite well. And he will sow doubt. Did God really say? Oh, yeah, yeah, I thought he did. Oh, it's somewhere in the Bible. Um, and then he'll, he'll give you half-truths. Hmm, that kind of sounds plausible. I think I read something like that somewhere in the Bible. Uh, and he'll even quote the Bible. He did it to Jesus. Of course, out of context. And as we learned on the Bible course, take a text out of context, and what do you get? Gone, very good. He wants to destabilize us. And so my aim really this morning is not to get you, more of you to read your Bible tomorrow morning. And my aim really is to get you to think, what's my Bible intake for the next decade? Most of you have got a decade by the will of God. What is it going to be? Jenny's prophetic word referred to a huge table. This is the thing we've been unpacking over some months now. A huge table the Lord had prepared to feast on with great big ladle-sized spoons. And we're told, don't hold back. Fill yourself. Have your fill of it. You know what? We're called to be, not to nibble the word of God, but to get nimble in the word of God. Do you like that? Good, don't you? like that? Not a lot. Um, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's some nutrient in every single verse of the Bible. I believe it. But it will take you 85 years to read the Bible at one verse a day. Not sure if many of you have got that long. 15 minutes a day at a fairly slow pace, you can get through the Bible in a year. 10 times in a decade. Three and a half chapters, 1,800 words. With a, with a day of grace. Well, every day is a day of grace. Anyway. Let's use the truth. Let's look at the other three bits of armor. It's now really about applying what we know of the truth into the specifics of our daily battle. The shield of faith. First, the arrows come over ahead. Just this barrage of accusations and temptations. Don't take them personally. They're just sent out in case they can find their spot. The Roman shield, you see, was like a portable fire door. You could hide right behind it. And our first application of truth, surely, is we've got to believe it. Knowing the truth is only one thing. We need to actually put our trust in it. So taking up the shield of faith is choosing to believe God's truth when confronted with the enemy's lies. You see, we're not knights in shining armor. No, we're soldiers in God's army. It's a reminder here also that we, we belong together. We find strength in faith, work, walking through life together. The Roman army would be in formation, and with each of them clicking their shields together, they went like a tortoise shell. Nothing could get through it. They could even send the cavalry over the top of it. It was so strong. We're meant to be helping one another in this area of faith. The helmet of salvation. Once the archers send their arrows over, then we've got to watch out for the snipers. We're aiming for our head. 
Elsewhere in another letter, Paul says, put on the hope of salvation as a helmet. It's that future aspect to our salvation. Yes, we're saved, we're being saved, but there's salvation to come, this glory, this, this, this new creation, this wonder, this new world that God is uh, going to give to us by inheritance. And you see, hope is the complement of faith. It's the other way of expressing what we know is true. We know the end of the story. We know where we're going. We, we know the grace to come. So we're going to take up the helmet of salvation and have an eternal perspective when the challenges come. So we'll be hard-pressed, perhaps, but not crushed. We will be perplexed, perhaps, but never in despair. We will be persecuted, but we won't be abandoned. We'll be struck down, but we won't be destroyed. Why? Because of our eternal perspective. Because in the light of eternity, it doesn't belittle things, but they do become light and momentary as we have to walk through them. Somehow they even achieve glory for us in the long run. And then lastly, we've got the sword of the Spirit. This is when the battle gets up close and personal. And so taking up the sword of the Spirit is about relying on the Holy Spirit to help us select specific truth in the heat of battle. So we've gone from the general to the specific. The Holy Spirit's been with us all of the way, but now's the moment. Today's the day. This is the hour that the battle is raging, and we need the Holy Spirit's help, and he will help us draw from the truth that we've known and got to know and got to grips with. This is what I believe Jesus modeled when he was tempted in the wilderness. At the age of 12, he went to the temple, and everyone who heard him said, wow, we're amazed at his understanding and his, answer, and his answers. You see, Jesus already had the belt of truth on. It was already there. He already had his ready shoes on, even from a young age. Then he went into the wilderness, but not before he was baptized. And as he was, came out of the water, he heard a voice saying, You are my son, in whom I'm well pleased. I love you. And I think that was this breastplate of righteousness. His emotional tank, if you like, was full. Still ringing in his ears. I love you. As he went into the wilderness. And the Holy Spirit was with him. Leading him, anointing him, coming upon him. And so at three, three occasions, the devil came up with his weapon to try and knock Jesus down. And three times the Holy Spirit brought to mind some specific scripture from three verses, from three chapters, all in Deuteronomy. Maybe that's where he'd got nimble in Deuteronomy. And now the Spirit's helping him draw them out. But he's not thrusting, he's, he's just defending. You know what you do? Just taking that sword away, taking that weapon away. Because as he resisted, the devil had to flee. So it is with us. So as we end this series, as we end today, let's commit again to fight the good fight. Amen? Let's not repeat the charge of the light brigade. But no, take our stand with God's full armor. Let's commit to knowing the truth and using the truth. Let's feast on it. Let's get to grips with it. Let's get nimble in it. And let's understand everything we have in Christ and then apply it. Apply it with faith. Apply it with hope. Apply it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen.